news this evening is speculation concerning the real facts behind the Department of Health announcement about a radioactive spill supposed to have occurred yesterday at the state nuclear plant. You know what you're thinking. Mine's bigger than yours, right? It's not fair. Throw it away. All right? Tons of popcorn there. Yeah. And all you gotta do is go climb a tree to go eat it. <laughs> it was a night like any other night. Then something happened. Oh, good lord. It's. It's unbelievable. It's. It's horrible. Welcome to the Really Awful Movies Podcast, a celebration of low-budget cinema. The sleep of reason gives birth to monsters. Hi, my name's Chris, and along with Jeff, we're bringing you the very best and worst of horror, sci-fi, post-apocalyptic wasteland, kung fu, and women in prison movies from the 1960s to today. Check us out at reallyawfulmovies.com, part of the Crypt TV family. From our downtown train headquarters, here's episode 183, a movie that puts together two genres that we're really fond of, uh, black exploitation and horror, Blackula. From 1972, mm-hmm. starring the wonderful William Marshall as Blackula himself. Uh, although I will say a bit more about the name of the character as we continue on with the discussion, but this is a film that obviously was capitalizing on two extremely popular genres, as you said, one being black cinema the burgeoning uh you know black exploitation genre that was nascent at the time yeah, yeah. starting the late 60s and uh, went all through the 70s and of course horror and this i believe is the first melding of black exploitation and horror it wasn't the last because well, Abby happened, or something yeah. well yeah, yeah. I mean, first of all there was a sequel to this of course mm-hmm. blacklist scream released the following year there was also Abby, as you said before, which was uh, sort of like a black exorcist ripoff directed by William Girdler. Uh, this led to uh, Dr. Black and Mr. Hyde, uh, <laughs> Blackenstein, <laughs> and other sort of black exploitation horror movies, although not as maybe overt as uh, Blackula or Blackenstein. There was a movie called Sugar Hill, which is Black Zombies, The House on Skull Mountain, JD's Revenge, and it petered out. Black exploitation petered out. But it wasn't the end of black horror because throughout the years we got movies like Bones, which starred Snoop Dogg, mm. and uh, we got um, Tales from the Hood, which was an all sort of black anthology f- horror film, and even movies as uh, I would say forgettable, but you know uh, there was Vampire in Brooklyn, directed by Wes Craven, starring Eddie Murphy as the titular Vampire in Brooklyn. Mm. But it all started with Blackula. Now, Blackula is a movie. They once again, as I talked about this with Rollerball, I think more people know of the movie than have actually seen the movie. They know the title. Oh, it's Dracula, but with black, so it's funny. Blockula. But for those that actually know more about the movie than the actual title, this is actually a really charming movie. A whole lot of fun. And I'm going to argue 
that this is one of the more unique and I would almost say dignified portrayals of vampires ever portrayed on screen. Following that up, although this does get lumped into block exploitation, it sort of lacks a lot of the tropes that the block exploitation genre was known for. Yeah, I guess most notably, uh, I guess white characters who are really just sort of ridiculous mm -hmm. and inane and uh, a lot of the more sexual elements where just where boobs pop out at every second uh, and well, and some of the, I guess, garish fashion, fashion sensibilities as yep. well. Yep, liberal use of the N-word. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it was used once and once only in this movie. Mm -hmm. It also lacks um, drugs. You know, there's a lot of drug culture. For example, I'm thinking about uh, one of our mutual favorites, Dolomite. Dolomite yeah. The character, I can't forget his name now, but he was the junkie character. Oh, yeah. Well, also, like, Willie Dynamite or any of these characters who are involved on the, on the wrong side of the law mm -hmm. and running afoul of the law. And this character really does not. Well, well he's no, far he, he starts killing people. Yeah, but he's not <laughs> from that background. He, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there's no drug culture. There's no pimp culture. There's no, um, for lack of a better term, uh, well, there's a little bit, I guess, of jive talking, but not too much. Yeah. It is it just vernacular from the period, but not specific to that. I mean, you're right on and you're solid and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But that's not you know unique to black exploitation. None of that is uttered by. Mamawalde, and I'm going to refer to him for the rest of this podcast as Mamawalde. <laughs> if you wish, I can barely say that. Not Blackula. Okay, because Mamawalde. he's ne never referred to as Blackula other than his genesis when he is first turned as a vampire, where Dracula dubs him Blackula. And that there's some interesting little subtext to that as well, which I also I want to get into. Mm. But yeah, I think a lot of the uh, class and dignity that this film has is 100% the result of the actor playing Mama Walde, and that is the wonderful William Marshall. Uh, yeah, who, whose uh, portrayal of Othello has been cited by esteemed, uh, pardon me, publications as I think Time Out London, if I'm not mistaken, some high-profile UK magazine dubbed him one of the best portrayers of Othello. So, I mean, a terrific pedigree, his he's, he's fantastic. He just carries the whole film, and there are parts of it that are amateurish, but not his performance. I mean, the sonorous, booming voice. It's just, there's something, he, the way he carries himself with such... Underclass and dignity. Yeah, 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 which is, I guess, a hallmark of the vampire genre going back to the Bela Lugosi days, but it just, there's almost, it's more emphatic now, even. Well, and also there's a sense of regalness as well, because <laughs> he does play a prince before he, he becomes does, yeah. a vampire. He's Prince Mamawalde of this uh, fictional... Um, yeah, like East African country. They which is called... Uh, they don't call it ebony. It's pretty, there's a different stress to it. It's like ebony or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, just to continue on with about William Marshall, I mean, this is a man who was trained not just in uh, Shakespeare, but he was trained in grand opera. He was trained in Broadway. So he's he brings a lot of pedigree to this role, and a lot of class. And one of the another interesting thing about William Marshall is that as the years went on, of course. Maybe he was most famous for his portrayal of Momo Walde and Blackula in his sequel, but to people of a certain age, such as myself, I think he was almost more famous for playing the King of Cartoons mm -hmm. in Pee Wee's Playhouse. Uh, yes, of course. Do you recall? I do recall, and as a catchphrase associated with him. The King, the King, the King of Cartoons. <laughs> there you wow, come. Yeah. As regal as can be, and introduce the cartoon. So, this movie begins, and we find ourselves... Oh, and I should be worth noting, this is an AIP production. Oh, for sure, and So, yeah. whenever you have an AIP production, something produced by Samuel Arkoff or what have you, you know you're in for a good time. Mm -hmm. And this movie begins in 1780, and we're in Transylvania proper, Castle Dracula, and Mama Walde and his wife, 
Luva, and these are the, I guess, the prince and princess of this nation of Ebonae. They are visitors in Dracula's castle, and they are there to sort of negotiate a bit of a, a armistice. Is that the right mm -hmm. word? Armistice? Yeah, I guess he's sort of an emissary from North Africa, and he's trying to end, I guess, the slave trade? That mm -hmm. he, that, it's kind of shoehorned in, but it makes for an interesting uh, dynamic of mm -hmm. the Eastern European, uh, you know, and the African, and the two meet in this dining hall, and uh, yeah, things do not go well, and the Dracula proper it does not take kindly to this uh, upstart here. No, I mean, no, I mean, this is a European a Dracula meeting. He's white. When Mama Walde discusses the possibility of this armistice, this mm. answer the slave trade, Dracula is not happy. It's funny. Uh, Mama Walde mentions something like, you know, I'm, I'm, "I'm tired of talking to pseudo intellectuals and dilettantes. Yeah, and yeah. I want to discuss the end of this trade yeah. now." It's very thinly veiled barb, and then there's a wink in his, you know, and uh, yeah, that was. And then there's some not thinly, but overtly mm. veiled. Or yeah, racism. No veiled at all. Racism yeah, yeah. from Dracula, who starts lavishing compliments on uh, Luva mm -hmm. and saying that you know it would be a compliment of one of my stations to bestow <laughs> desire on one of your color <laughs> yeah. as he's throwing amorous advances to Mama Walde's wife, wife. Luva, yeah. and of course Mama Walde does not take kindly to this, which results. And of course he doesn't know who he's dealing with. He doesn't realize that he's dealing with the Count Dracula or. If you know Count Dracula, doesn't know what Count Dracula really is, mm. and there's a fight. And it's a kind of a cool fight. It's a fight. Yeah, the henchmen are brought in. Yeah, yeah. The, the, mm. the goon, the hired goons, come in uh, from the bow inside the bowels of the castle, and yeah, uh, Mama Walde fends them off with fire, and has a t there's a terrific fight scene where he tosses one of them uh, across like a, um, a thick uh, table, and oh, it's just fantastic. Till they finally get the better of him, pin him down, and. Well, you know what happens when you mm -hmm. encounter a vampire. Well, he basically, Dracula does, he conscripts him to a very diabolical fate in that he turns Mama Walde into a vampire but locks him into a coffin. So here he's going to have to sit as a member of the undead <laughs> without the... And he has this whole long soliloquy of you're going you're gonna to have this hunger for blood which will never <laughs> sated and you will never know what it's like. Oh, yeah, I'm, just, I'm just paraphrasing. Yeah, yeah. Locks the coffin, leaves Luva in there to rot. He doesn't turn her. He just says, you're now stuck in here for the rest of however long mm -hmm. it takes and eternity, and you're going to just rot. So, in doing so, he then t says to uh, Mama Walde, I will dub you Blackula. And that is the only mention of the moniker Blackula. Mm -hmm. Nobody else in the for the rest of the picture calls him Blackula, even when it is established that when he does come back in the present day that he is a vampire, he's always referred to as Mama Walde. So, it's interesting, it's, because when you think about it, okay, well, Blackula is obviously the title of the picture, and it's a much more evocative and attractive title, a much more appealing title for general audiences than Mama Walde would be. No, oh, yeah, yeah. But it's sort of like a racial epithet, a racial term, a very loaded term that Dracula is placing upon this very dignified Af African prince and saying... Well, it's a gimmicky. Not yeah, gimmicky, but like when, Dr when Dracula is saying to this dignified prince... Oh, it's demeaning. Oh, demeaning. Yeah, it's, right. it's demeaning. It's mm -hmm. loaded. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, you're, you're Dracula, you're, you're a vampire, you're Blackula. It's very demeaning. And that's like the only part of the movie... Except for, as I said before, one and one only instance of the N-word, which is so rare 
I don't want, I gotta be very careful. I don't want to pull up Bill Maher, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, which is so rare in block exploitation, where the term blockula is used. So that being the only time when the term or the moniker blockula is used, and it's used by an oppressor of Mama Walde, mm -hmm. it's very interesting. It's it's like almost like some sort of a colonial oppressor giving him a slave name, which he subsequently rejects for the rest of the movie. Oh, interesting. I was thinking also what makes this unique is I'm thinking of other depictions in uh, history uh, of, of vampire, vampiric. Oh, I want to use that lore. And this is the only instance in my mind that I can think of of a barrel-chested, physical, imposing... A strong vampire because I'm just uh, pulling out of a hat here like Martin the George Romero film it was like an emaciated almost meth head kind of vampire or, or like a small in stature Bella Lugosi or or let's say maybe a Christopher Lee where he's maybe tall in stature but he doesn't use his physical prowess here we have a for lack of a better term, like the fake Barry Goldman and Bram Stoker's Dracula yes. Nosferatu Nosferatu yeah mm -hmm. here we have an ass kicking vampire mm -hmm. who happens to be black and this is i mean this is cool this is different this is wholly unique yeah and that, and that sort of lends itself to some of the tropes of the black exploitation for example your shafts or what have you oh yeah yeah when kicking, you some ass. kicking some ass mm. again. but and that's the thing when he does get reincarnated almost 200 years later in the present day not reincarnated but when he gets re released from his uh his tomb. His tomb, yeah. The coffin is opened through some interesting oh. machinations <laughs> <Yeah>. involving <laughs> two rather, you know, stereotypical, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. interior designers. Well, these guys are looking for a deal. They they, they procure this uh, piece of an antiquity, this mm. nice piece of furniture. And quote-unquote, back in our home, uh, the legend of Dracula is the creme de la creme of camp. <laughs> yeah, oh my, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, of course, they, so they, they buy Castle Dracula, and it's all, all its furnishings, and they take it back to LA, and one... And this is this is standard. I mean, how Dracula is always resurrected. One is trying to open up the coffin. The other one cuts his hand. He bleeds. So when you have a combination of somebody open up a coffin, Dracula is revealed, whether he's dead or not. Now we got to remember, Mulawaldi is not dead. He's just been locked for two hundred years, mm. and then he's released, and he's thirsting. He's hungry for blood. One cuts his hand, dripping blood everywhere. Mulawaldi is going to come out fierce and satiate his thirst and his hunger and as you said before he is an ass kicker he's feral when he's when he's in vampire attack mode he is feral he is formidable but when he's not i mean okay Va dracula has always been a smooth talker mm -hmm, this is true all, all the, well except for maybe nosferatu mm -hmm. right? i mean even thinking back to klaus kinsey's portrayal mm -hmm. of nosferatu in uh the herzog version that we podcasted yes definitely but whether it be Lugosi, whether it be Lee, whether it be Oldman, he was always a smooth talker. But Mama Waldi takes that smooth talking sort of like... Oh, it's just, yeah, just chocolatey baritone voice mm -hmm. that he uses to uh, convince and uh, cajole and oh, re-woo, is that even a word? Woo again, mm -hmm. uh, his, his wife Luva, with whom he's reconnected on the California <laughs> coast, uh, like some 200 years later. And she, she knows when the two meet that there is a connection between the two, although uh, for obvious reasons she doesn't believe she was his wife in a past life because mm. this is an outstanding, ridiculous claim. Well, yeah, he happens to come across a lady named Tina, who he 
surmises is the reincarnation of his long lost love, his wife, um, his betrothed, not his betrothed, he was married to her, his yeah. wife, his, his soulmate, the one he was meant to spend eternity with, Luva. And right away he gets to the business of trying to get back in her graces. Unfortunately, there is some resistance along the way. Oh, yeah, and this is all set against the backdrop of an increasing body count here because he has to feed, he's a creature of the night, he's a member of the undead, and this is all set against the backdrop of a series of murders that uh, Blackula, for lack of a better term, is committing because he is a creature of the night, he has to feed, and he has to feed on the living, and the body count is rising. LAPD gets wind of this, they start to investigate. And at, heading up the investigation is a police captain who our Canadian listeners will know and our listeners abroad will know from uh, the dementia-related film Away From Her and also the shipping news. This mm -hmm. is Gordon Pinson. Very distinguished. He, he's a distinguished yeah, a Newfoundland actor. He's been in everything. Everything Canadian or but, yeah. And, and then with him, you have Gordon, another uh, feature. What, what is he exactly? Is he a coroner, an investigator? It's hard he's to a medical investigator. I don't even know if he's an actual cop. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he has a badge. I don't think he has a license. Does he have a license? He does shoot a gun every now and again. Yeah, but he does. And he's, oh, I yeah. can't remember the actor's name, but he is, a, a, he is the star of uh, Willie Dynamite, which is you know a huge exploitation hit. He was also in Sanford and Son. I, I can't even pronounce the guy's name, but you, you'll know him when you see him. And the two of them, one convinces the other that there's something afoot here and there's more to this than a series of just standard murders in, the, in, in, you know, in, in Los Angeles. But mm -hmm. the bite marks are actually not from a rat, which they attributed to in the beginning, but actually from something more sinister. So this is pretty funny. It, it becomes a procedural. It is procedural. And, but yeah. not in a bad way. Not and that that's rote or anything. No, and it's funny because in order to rewoo... Luva slash word. <laughs> he has to sort of insert himself into this LA nightlife night yeah. club <laughs> where we get to read some some interesting songs oh by my God, amazing. This is so cool. And this is a trope of the black exploitation mm -hmm. genre. I'm thinking like, well, James Brown did the soundtrack to like Black Caesar. He had this badass musical numbers. And there's a nightclub act wearing like you know, uh geez, like teal pastel uh, silk uh, tops and they're, they're doing this dance number and there's a white band backing mm -hmm. them and there's horns and it's and they're, so they're, cool. They're the Hughes Corporation. Oh, is that what they're yeah. called? Well, best known for the hit uh, Rock the Boat. Holy crap. Rock the Boat. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. Oh, our music was so fantastic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was so cool. So it's just, it's just an excuse to put them in. I mean, this is just trying to really attract a demographic, right? You have your, it's a black audience. You have like great black soul music, mm -hmm. and yeah, I mean, yeah. So while but while he's there in the nightclub scene trying to woo leave, uh, Luva, yeah, Luva, Tina, yeah, I mean, whatever, yeah, he has no use for anybody else. And there's a there's a really fun character called Big Skillet, who could be like <laughs> the closest to your typical exploitation character. Yeah, yeah. But there's sparks, and you said before that although she is incredulous at first. Tina starts to... I mean, right away, she falls into the spell of Mama Mualde. She's like, there's something about this man. I, I, How can you not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, it's just, we, I feel a connection. And at one point, as Mama Mualde is about to leave the nightclub, a friend of theirs snaps a photograph. Now, of course, we as we know, know from Vampiric Lore, yeah. uh, vampires cast no reflection, mm -hmm. and they don't show up on photographic film. So that's sort of what leads the investigators because in order to cover his tracks Mawalde has to kill the photographer and when the investigator finds a photograph and he's already 
studying vampiric lore. Yeah. And then he finds a photograph, and he notices that it's yeah, that Mumbleface on the picture, and he puts two and two together. And then we also sees a lot of minions of uh, Mama Walde, these wonderful green-faced vampire <laughs> minions. <laughs> kind of remind me of some of the it's zombies. Yeah. Well, like it's Hollywood, yeah. or something. Also, <laughs> yeah. Well, there's that, and also the zombies <laughs> in Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, I mean, Tom Savini did amazing work, but for for the uh, the countenance of the zombies in that film, he really just slathered green and blue paint on them. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, the, ultimately, the LAPD is closing in on Mama Walde, and Mama Walde is closing in on Lula. Mm-hmm. And the one thing is that, and again, this is the dignified stateliness of Mama Walde, is he will not take her by force. He insists that... Which he even says, yeah. Yeah, he, he insists that you must come to me freely. You are my love, and you must come to me freely. Now, as the movie hurdles towards its conclusion... Uh, there's uh, something very interesting that happens in the ending, which I don't want to spoil, but in doing so, it really it turned this movie into my into what I felt was not a black exploitation film per se. Well, yeah, of course it was. Not a horror film per se. Okay, yes, of course it was. But at its heart, at its beating bloody heart, so <laughs> delicious and right <laughs> pulsating, with yeah. plasma yeah, in order yeah. to you know sustain the life of an undead. This is a really tragic love story between two lovers whose fate are separated. There's almost like a Romeo and Juliet quality to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, like again, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil the ending, but there's a sad tragicness to their love story that really gives it a real star-crossed lover is not meant to be tragic ending worthy of the bard and you don't see that that element of tragedy i mean there's always some sort of pining for a woman that the count knew back when he was human you know uh, mina or uh, Mm. lucy or what have you but you don't see what happens to these two incarnations of those characters uh, in other vampire movies you see it in this one and it just brings Blackula to a different level of, of pathos and tragedy which I found to be extremely refreshing and quite sad and beautiful really and that's why I think it's one of the most dignified vampire stories ever portrayed on screen having said that I guess this would be a good segue into what did we learn so yeah go ahead well, I'll start well of course uh, the one of the hallmarks of uh, Dracula is of course his sartorial choices and this is played to, to I, I would say fun comedic effect in the LA nightclub scene because Mo Walde is not one to shy away from the fineries of, of Dracula he wears the, this luscious long cape and yeah, he wears uh, it well too. He, he does and then one of the, what, what's the guy's the guy's name Big Skillet Big is that Skillet, his, oh yeah. that's so funny but yeah he, he says like what's with that guy like he says you know what's with his rags or with his threads like, I gotta buy me one of those capes so you have the like this strange dynamic where he's just he he is royalty amidst the you know the demi monde the, the 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 these nightclub denizens there and he just he really stands out like a sore thumb but but they accept him and they're like oh, what is it with this brother so th- that was a fun little moment well, it was the early 70s where the sartorial choices were quite out there quite <laughs> yeah. and if there's a so, you know i mean like some most black exploitation films you have the the resplendent pimp outfit. So if he's oh, like yeah, a man who's walking around in a, in a cape, why not? Oh yeah, or like death by gold chain. Like one of the characters suffers in the in the pretty fun Wayne Brothers film. I'm gonna get you, sucker. Or yeah, like the, the amazing over the top fur coats that these films always featured. Uh, what did you learn? Quite a few things actually. Um, there was one scene in this movie that made me laugh quite a bit because here we have Momo all day 
locked in a casket for 200 years. So that's that's quite a nap. That's that's a long time to rest, I would say. Uh, and then when he's finally freed from his confines uh, by these uh, interior designers, and he he snacks on both of them, he immediately laughs and goes right back in his coffin. Yeah. <laughs> you need more sleep you just slept for 200 years that made me laugh but you know what that was just one little silly little vignette mm. in the rest of this movie um, one of the actors in this movie he plays I guess he's um, just uh, sort of like a functionary uh, he actually one of the functionaries in the morgue mm. um, I believe his, his character's name is Sam and he's played by the actor Elijah Cook Jr. and I remember way back when we podcasted the Vincent Price classic House on Haunted Hill and I said, man, that actor looks familiar to me. And this time I decided to IMDb him, and he's been in a ton of stuff. I mean, he was in, besides House on Haunted Hill, he was in Rosemary's Baby, he was in Salem's Law, and he was in a ton of wicked noir, like The Killing, The Maltese hmm. Falcon, The Big Sleep. So always a treat to see Elijah Cook Jr. on screen. Well, he was great in this one. He ends up being another one of Momo Aldi's... Uh, Although I, I, I don't recall if he's killed by Momo Waldi and Momo Waldi's minions. Oh, I can't recall either, yeah. doesn't matter. Hmm. Uh, an observation, though. Because of the fact that Momo Waldi is and was an African prince before he was cursed with the undead, I would have almost liked to have seen the film exploit that a bit more and maybe incorporate a little bit more African culture. Whether it be through Momo Waldi's attire... Oh, yeah. Seeing some... him as a chieftain or some higher up, that, oh, that would have been fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I don't know. Maybe the, the the times weren't ready for that. Maybe just by having a black vampire, that was enough. enough. But it, w- yeah. it would have been cool because I mean, yes, he's a he's regal, so he's he's a you, you buy these a prince, but he was an African prince, and there was not okay. I don't want to. I don't want like so, you know, like a coming to America, Eddie Murphy, like mm-hmm. it was too stereotypical. Yeah, yeah. You know, or something more dignified to portray. So yeah, yeah. Not, but something. It would have been it would have been nice to have because I mean you know all, you know as the Shaft series went on you had like Shaft in Africa and so on it would have been interesting just to have a little bit more African culture. Oh well, that's interesting. You say like oh, for of its time, like how this would have been seen of it at its time of its time in the nineteen seventies, early seventies. Early seventies. Because this was I was thinking as the film progressed and the murders pile up and some of the conduct of the LAPD is as it subsequently became called into question. And I was thinking you know, the LA experienced. Well, everywhere experienced the civil rights movement in the mid-60s, but L.A. had a famous riot mm. called the Watts the Riot Watts in 65, yep. mm-hmm. where, like, I think an African-American guy was pulled over for DUI ostensibly and was something, you know, treated unfairly by the police. So this, I mean, to have, to really reference that with, there were crowd scenes with cops and trying to keep them at bay, and I thought, oh, there's really a nod to that, and... Yeah, but on the other set. hand, there it was, was subtle. Yeah, there was there was not a lie. You see this in pretty much every black exploitation movie ever made, where there's this tension between the two races. Yeah, whitey versus mm-hmm. you know the, you know the you and word versus yeah, yeah. you don't get that at all in this one. You don't get the bone. Not as white much. Yeah, no, yeah, I mean very little. I mean mm-hmm. you have um, you have the two investigators being an interracial duo. Yeah, yeah, right. The cop and the medical investigator. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there really wasn't much in the way of any sort of enmity or rancor yeah, discord, between the yeah, races yeah. or discord. Uh, so that also kind of separates this. So, yes, Blackula is considered to be a black exploitation film, no doubt. And it was, I'm pretty sure, the first black 
horror film. You know what I mean? Like mm. in the sense of like a horror film within that black exploitation milieu. Yeah. But it's not really a black exploitation film. It's a love story. Essentially. It's a well, yeah. Mm. But and there's so many the, all the tropes of the of the black exploitation. Much of it is missing from this movie. So I think the producers want to enter into a profitable genre, a burgeoning genre, and then that being, of course, you know, this this new wave of black cinema. And, of course, melting it with horror is great, but the restraint, the dignity, the class, it's not a true black exploitation movie. So, what I'm trying to say is that if, so, uh, if somebody was um, entering into the, the black exploitation genre for the first time and wanted to watch something that was like, wait, well, this is a black exploitation movie, they'd be better served by watching all your shafts or your super flies. Yeah, or yeah. Your, your sweet, sweet, that's yeah. badass song. Oh, yeah, that's going to sick. Black Evil is more of an, an interesting footnote in black exploitation. It's lumped in. To that, just by virtue of the fact that it came out in the midst of these movies, however but, unfairly, yeah. but it's not really a black exploitation movie. It's not a movie that Quentin Tarantino would be referencing in Jackie Brown or something. So. Yeah, uh, well, star rating then, is I think I know where you're going to go with this. But I, I'm going to give uh, I'm going to give it three and three quarter because okay. I really enjoyed it, with the exception of a, a few. I mean, structural, really simple structural things like cutaways that didn't quite. Uh, makes sense where someone would say a line and then they would just cut to something else and maybe not the most fluid uh, smooth way they could have done it so that but that's such nitpicking because mm-hmm. this is really like I enjoy this thing tremendously oh, yeah. your star rating well this is low budget uh, the director William Crane I mean he did go on to direct uh, Dr. Black and Mr. Hyde which I have not seen but no. by title alone I can just imagine what that's like <laughs> yeah. uh, but he didn't have a lot of experience he doesn't have a very extensive filmography he's not no. Jack Hill who you know is more of a craftsman mm. um, so yeah at certain points that you do see the seams showing but overall, though, just for uh, sheer enjoyment, um, and also for really, it's interesting because certain actors, certain performances, they're like buoys. They float to the surface, mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter what they're in, they're going to elevate themselves and everything else around them. And William Marshall is one of those buoys. He's just so, he's elevated. He's no, I, I thought a rising tide raises all boats. Well, that said, too. Okay. I, I couldn't think of the <laughs> yeah, metaphor. Your nautical but, references. Yeah. So, is <laughs> buoy now be acceptable? Sure, sounds, uh, <laughs> I think it's funny hearing someone say buoy. It's one of these weird words. <laughs> David buoy? Well, you know, I used <laughs> to pronounce Clinton it. calls David buoy. Mm, I used to pronounce it a boy, but as we, as we know, it's not a boy. It's a buoy. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I've mispronounced it several times. It's boy, a, okay, I'm, I'm here. It's not a bubble buoy, it's a buoy. <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah. It's not a buoy, it's not a boy. Oh, i got to remember that. It's yeah. a buoy. It's a anyway. buoy. Yeah, uh, the dignified, elevated performance of William Marshall, who you one can argue was too good for this material, but no, mm-hmm. he actually just really... Uh, he, he, he Vincent priced it. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. there <laughs> you go. He yeah. words out of my mouth. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm going to go with you. Three and three quarters, can't really give it a four. Uh, for you know certain technical things yeah, and so yeah. on and so forth, but it's everything is all heck. There's never a moment of uh, boredom or dullness. No, and just a fun, fun movie. So yeah, yeah, three and a half. Sorry, three and three quarters for me. Oh, and what's also fun is our genre film website, which is updated as frequently as humanly possible. www.reallyawfulmovies.com. Follow us on Twitter, and uh, we know this is not strictly a horror film, but our fans of horror who listen to us all over the world at this point, it turns out, might be inclined to check out our... Uh, acclaimed book, Death by Umbrella, The Hundred Weirdest Horror Movie Weapons, which was written up very favorably in LA Weekly and Scream Magazine. So you want to check... Rue Morgue, everybody. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. want to check that out. And follow us on and Twitter. And that's available on Amazon. And, it is. Yeah. Uh, be sure to 
tweet us one of your favorite black exploitation films because we're going to revisit this genre in the future because there, it has a lot to offer. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Take care.